And if you have a Bible, we'd love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 18 today. Uh, we're going to be reading from uh, one, probably an overlooked passage of Scripture that Jesus, uh, on occasion that Jesus preached a sermon that uh, turns out to be one that's really powerful, really practical, that we'll get to in just uh, a little bit. So just uh, open your Bibles there and keep, keep your Bibles open there. We'll look at that text in just a little bit. Later on in our message, we'll turn over to Romans chapter 6. If you want to bookmark that chapter already, um, we'll turn there at the very end of our time. But just a heads up so you can turn there quickly. Um, you know, this might be a little bit off topic, but if you, ever, if you ever want a good laugh, if you ever want to have a good time, and, and who doesn't want to laugh every once in a while, um, just go on YouTube. And of course, YouTube has a lot of things you can laugh at. Uh, sometimes it's people that don't realize they're being filmed and they're put on there. Sometimes it's people that are well aware every camera in the world um, is on them. Um, and uh, uh, a, a person that brought a lot of funny moments to us, regardless of your opinion on him, whether you supported him or voted for him, um, George W. Bush, um, there's a lot of funny videos of President Bush on, on YouTube. And, and again, regardless of your thoughts, on the president. Um, he was well known for kind of putting his foot in his mouth sometimes. Um, and uh, he laughs about it now. He's done interviews where he talks about, yeah, I said that. I can't believe I said that. Um, during his uh, uh, campaign, he was uh, very serious. And when he became president, he kind of kind of became a comical figure. And uh, whether he was just doing it for levity or, or whether um, all the pressure of the moment just kind of got, got to him. Um, uh, again, he, he kind of offered a lot of good sound bites. If you ever want to have a good time, just go and search those on YouTube. But, uh, you know, I, I do, you know, what I do is a much, 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 much smaller scale than what any, you know, politician or president will ever do. But when you talk for a living or when you talk a lot and, and you're in front of people, uh, sometimes when you're on the spot um, and you're expected to say the right thing, you say the exact opposite of the right thing. Uh, sometimes when the moment, when the pressure's on you, when the lights are on you, when the cameras are on you, sometimes it's in those moments that you say things, you just can't help yourself, but to say some goofy things, some funny things, some things that you think, I just can't believe I, I, I did that. So I, I think our brains do that, do that to keep us humble. Uh, but sometimes our, our brains uh, do that to keep us humble, I think, um, and uh, it, it absolutely happens. So, so back to back to, to W. Uh, one of my favorite moments, and probably one of everybody's, um, uh, one of, a well-known moment, is uh, a, a, an opportunity, an occasion where he spoke to a crowd in Tennessee and, uh, you know, normal political event, a lot of people there. Uh, and he's, he's bringing up a phrase that the people of Tennessee would use. And I think it's a, it's a phrase that everybody uses. Uh, and, and when we get it started, you, you'll know how it ends before we read the rest of it. So he, he begins to say, fool me once, fool me once. But then he just freezes up. And, and again, if you've, ever, if you've ever done any public speaking, you, you've had these moments before where you're talking and you think you know what you're going to say and then you just forget. Even you, you forget the name of, of the person next to you, right? It just, you freeze. And, and, and you know, it's not that you have a memory lapse. It's just the, the moment's too big. So he, he goes to say, fool me once. And, he, and you think he would just say the rest of it. But he just obviously doesn't know what to say. Uh, and, and, and we've all had these moments. But, but he looks around and he waits for it to come to him. And, and, he, and it finally does. But he says it in a way that it, you can tell he's hoping that he says it right. He says, fool me once, shame on you. And he's thinking, did I say it right? You know, he's relieved that he, that he got it right. Um, and, and, then, and then he's just ready to get this over with. He just blurts out the next part, which he clearly had forgot. He says, fool me twice, can't get fooled again. 
And, you know, you hear George Bush talk, you know, he kind of had that cadence to him, and you couldn't help but laugh, and, and I, obviously he was laughing along with you. But uh, that's obviously not what was supposed to come next. Uh, but uh, every time I think of the actual phrase, I'm reminded of the former president giving us this funny moment. But when you think about it, um, you know, it's, it's clearly not the case um, that, that, that once we get fooled, uh, if we're ever fooled once, that we're magically foolproof. But, you know, it, it, it would be nice if that were the case, right? It would be nice that if we were fooled once, that we would suddenly become foolproof. That suddenly, hey, I'm not going to fall for that trick again. You fooled me once, hey? But now, now, I, I, can, I can see it coming. Now, the actual phrase, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And, and that's kind of the, the, the idea behind I can't get fooled again. Uh, because if you fall for something twice, it's really on you, Right? I mean, if the same trick gets played on you two times, I mean, you, you kind of you should have saw it coming, right? Uh, now, we might not totally be foolproof. You'd think, though, that we would gain some level of confidence and some level of knowledge and some level of experience to the point that after the first time somebody or something trips us up, we'd be ready for it. We might not be foolproof, but we should be close to foolproof, right? So... We're just a couple weeks into 2024 and, and things are not that different from 2023 uh, and really any given year that preceded this one. And that's the premise of this series that we're opening up this year with. Uh, every new year is an opportunity to do things better than we did before because every year is basically just a repeat of the previous year. The only thing that's different is you're a little older and you know a little more than you did last year. Everything else pretty much is going to go off the same. There's far more that's predictable about this year than that is unpredictable. Uh, a new year is another new cycle. Every series, uh, another series of the same month, same big dates, same big events scattered across the same calendar. There's going to be similar ups and similar downs. But again, it's basically just another version of the last year and the year before that. When we look at each year through this practical lens, we are far less intimidated and we're actually much more motivated, which is why we are using this phrase that we're back for more in 2024, more of what we faced before. From knowns to unknowns, we are ready for whatever comes our way. And the good news is you've already done this before. You've already went around the sun a couple of times, a couple of decades for a lot of us, right? Many decades for a lot of us. And part of the experience that we've learned uh, that, that has set us up for this new year, it better positions us for a new year, is that we don't have to or we shouldn't have to repeat the same cycle again that leaves us disappointed, that lets us down in ourselves and the world around us. Because from one year to another, we've seen God show up again and again and again in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of, of displays of his power. We have confidence that he will show up and in fact, that's the slogan over this whole series. We are back for more in 2024. And we know, we know there may be a lot of things that we can't see coming, a lot of things that we can see coming. But most importantly, what we know is going to happen this year, God is going to show up because he always does, right? We've seen God do this before. We are back and ready for more because we know that God will show and he wants us to show up and step up and I think this is both inspiring and convicting. Inspiring because we're reminded that God's going to be with us, but convicting because, hey, we've done this before, so we ought to do better this year. We ought to be more mindful this year. We ought not to repeat the same mistakes that we did last year. 
So if you missed week one, we anchored our talk around two passages, one from the old, one from the new. And these verses, if they're not on your memory list, they should be. And as we look at them again real quickly, hopefully you'll realize that you memorized them from last week. So number one, Lamentations. Jeremiah says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So no matter what happens tomorrow, God's mercy is going to be there for you. No matter what happens tomorrow, God is going to be faithful to you. You may let him down. You may let a lot of people down. God is going to be faithful. God is going to be merciful. God is going to be there in the morning waiting on you no matter what situation you wake up to. That is a confidence, that's comfort that you can go to the bank with, that God is going to be there waiting on you. So with this new year, a lot might be unexpected ahead of us, but we know what? God is going to show up. We read from Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul says, take heart, men. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul is on a boat in the middle of a hurricane and the passengers are panicking. And he says, y'all, I've been through this before. I've been in prison. I've been on death row. I've been stoned. I've been thrown out of a building. I've been shipwrecked a few times. God will show up. We don't have to worry about that. Our last, uh, our talk last week was very general, very broad on how we can trust God no matter what we face this year with the good, the bad, the opportunity, and the challenge. But today, we're going to narrow in and be a little bit more specific, a little bit more, you know, prodding, a little bit more uh, maybe making this a little uncomfortable. But but we always know if God makes us uncomfortable, it's because he's going to give us something comfort uh, on the other side. Uh, So that's, that's what we can cling to. To hopefully encourage us all to open up a little bit, to be able to receive the most help. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. Nobody's going to put you on the spot, but I hope that this will help us be honest with ourselves. And if, if maybe you'll be honest with your, your husband, your wife, your, your family, your, your, your friend, maybe you'll be bold enough to say, Hey, I got to be honest with you because God knows this, but I need somebody else to help me make sure I get this right. So I got to ask you a question before we look at Jesus's word to us. Is there a sin that you struggled with in 2023 that you hope you can overcome in 2024? Is there a sin that you struggled with? And and maybe, if we're being honest, we didn't just struggle with it last year. We struggled with it two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, right? Is there a sin we struggled with last year that we hope we can overcome this year? Now, none of us like to admit how we sin, but we all do, right? Isn't it odd, though, that we all say things like, well, everybody sins, we all sin, but then we'll try to pretend like we haven't sinned in specific ways. It's like we don't mind to talk about sin in generic, broad terms, but we don't really want to get into the specifics. And and here's here's why we need to. Because sin, no matter how big or small, no matter how many people it affects, Sin makes our life less than it can be and less than it should be. If you want a simple summation of what sin does to you, sin makes your life less than it can be. And a lot of us are content with less than. A lot of us have settled for less than. If we were to reduce sin down to the most simple of definition, sin is a stumbling block. 
that you are headed in a direction that God wants you to go in. Sin causes you to stumble and you either fall or you get, you get detoured. Sin is, is a stumbling block. It prevents you from going as far as you can, as high as you can. Sin stunts your growth. So what does sin do in, in a nutshell? It's a stumbling block and it stunts your growth. It stunts the character that God is building. It stunts your relationships. It shuts doors that God has opened for you. It shuts down opportunities that God has given you. Sin holds us back in every category. And again, this is not to condemn any of us because it applies to all of us. Sin isn't just this defiant attitude. I think we think about sin as someone, as something that causes us to just say, I don't care about God. I don't want nothing to do with God. I don't believe in God. That's not just what sin does, though it, of course, does that. Sin is not just this attitude against God. Most of the time, that's not what sin is at all. Sin is a subtle detractor. You know what subtle means? It means it's hardly noticeable. That means you barely notice it, that someone can kind of sneak by you and they were subtle. They were very, they were very, you know, sneaky, right? Sin is a subtle detractor. Detractor means it takes away from, it detracts from. So how does sin detract from our faith? Three things you see. Sin works to disconnect us from God. What is sin's number one goal? It's to disconnect you from your heavenly father. It's to cut you off from God. Sin works to damage your relationships. Sin will always affect those that you love the most, those that love you the most. Sin damages your relationships with those that mean the most, God, of course, and those around you. Sin disconnects you from God, it damages your relationships, and it diminishes your progress, as in it keeps you from going as far, as high as you want to go. Why don't we reach our goals? Most likely, sin diminishes our lives. Now, this is why the Bible identifies and defines sin in so many ways. Because, again, it's anything that works to detract, disconnect, damage, diminish your life. It detracts you from your faith. It's anything that shuts you off from God's best, that causes you to stumble. The Bible says some things, that identifies some things as sin that are obvious. We say, of course, that's a sin. Other things that cause sin that we, make, we turn our heads and think, well, I don't know if that's a sin. I mean, yeah, murders are sin, but is, is this little thing a sin too? Right, right. Of course, that's a sin. It hurts people, but my sin doesn't hurt people like that. And this is why it's important that we understand how the Bible identifies sin, not to condemn us, but to enlighten and inspire us that we might get the help we need. So back to the question. Is there a sin that you struggled with in 2023 that you're seeking relief from, you're seeking refuge from? And here's the thing. Maybe you're not seeking relief from it, but someone beside you is praying you get relief from it. You hear me? You might not think it's a problem. And maybe, hey, maybe it's not. But somebody next to you thinks it is. And either they're just off base or maybe they see in you something that you can't see in the mirror. Right? And deep down, I think all of us would admit there are things in our lives that we wish we could get free from that we have accepted that we can't. And someone has told us you never will. But let's rephrase that. Is there a stumbling block, a recurring stumbling block in your life? Is there something you continue to stumble because of? You trip, you stumble, and maybe nobody sees you stumble, but you see, you, you see it. And you think, man, I, I didn't mean, I, you know, I thought I was over that. I thought I was beyond that. I thought I wasn't going to. But you continue to recur. It's, it continues to come up. Is there something that is constantly detracting from your faith, diminishing your progress, 
damaging your relationships and it's just disconnecting you from God? Is there something in your life? And again, it might not be some immoral, egregious thing, but it's something that's hurting you. And maybe you won't identify it as a sin. But if you would be honest, hey, it's a stumbling block. It's damaging my relationships. It's hurting my faith. It's diminishing my progress. And if that means it's a sin, hey, maybe I should own that. If we're sticking with our logic that we've, should, that we've done this before, we should be better and prepared for this year than we were last. We should be aware of our weaknesses and we should know what our trigger points are. And, and we've been fooled before. We've been fooled before. We should at least be somewhat foolproof, right? We shouldn't be able to get fooled again so easily. And surely the Bible offers us some help in this area and that's absolutely the case. But there's some good news and bad news in, this, in the help that we're going to get. Jesus spoke on this very subject on several occasions, but obviously uh, he, he means to, to offer some help to us. He spoke on it to give us some help, but he also made it clear the battle's not really ever going to end. So just fuller alert, this battle's not going to end in 2024. If you struggle with it before, you're probably going to struggle with it again. Maybe something new will show up. I hope not, but probably could be the case. That the battle's not going to end. The battle is going to continue. That, that's the bad news. But the good news is God's going to show up to help you and God's given you the help that you need if, if you'll take it. We've been through a few battles. You'd think we'd be better equipped for the next one or at least we would start using perspective that we've gained. So in Matthew 18, Jesus speaks on the matter and it's really a bizarre message. Uh, not because it's not based in reality, but because he's going to offer some solutions that we obviously know he's not encouraging us to take. But I think he's wanting us to realize We've got to do something about it. Have you ever made a suggestion to your kids or made a suggestion to somebody when, they're, when they refuse to address something and you make some real outlandish suggestion? Well, we'll just, we'll just tear the whole thing down, right? You know, you don't want to clean that up. We'll just, we'll just bulldoze the whole thing. Now, I mean, that's obviously not the solution, right? But you're just trying to make someone realize that they're diminishing or they're belittling or, or they're demeaning the, 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 the problem that they've got. They're, they're underestimating the problem that, they, that they've got. So Jesus is going to give us some bizarre advice that, that obviously doesn't really want you to, to, to take to get you to a place that you can hear the, the, what you really need to hear. Um, and as we know with Jesus, he often would say some pretty out there stuff to draw us in. He would say things just to get you to think. So Listen to these verses. They're, they're, very, they're, they're, they're some of the very most unique scriptures. Um, Matthew 18, verse number 7, 8 and 9. Woe to the world because of offenses. And that word offenses, in some Bibles it's translated temptations, stumbling blocks. Uh, it, it, it literally is referring to sin, temptations to sin, stumbling blocks to sin. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. So, and, and he's not saying that God wants you to struggle. He's just saying that's the reality we live in. Woe to the world. Hey, I got some bad news for your world. It's not going to get any better this year. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tests. There's going to be stumbling blocks. And Jesus says, woe, or as in, hey, I'm sorry. The world's broken. Things don't work as they should. They will be better one day, I promise. But right now in the fallen world, things break. There are stumbling blocks. There are speed bumps. There are traps. There are snares. There are all sorts of things that are trying to keep you from God. Woe to the world. And why do you think he's saying that? Because if he's telling you how bad it can be or how dire it is, it's so you would be more dependent on God. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it and say, well, there's never going to be any temptations or any trials or any tests. No, he makes it very clear that, yeah, they're going to happen. Woe to the world, for temptations will come. Woe to the world, for offenses must come. And then he, then he makes it very clear that he doesn't approve of it. 
Woe to that man by whom the offenses come. As in, they don't come from God. They come from the devil. They come from the enemy. They come from those that are allowing the enemy to lead them and control them. That God, is, God never antagonizes you. God never instigates you. God doesn't cause you to sin. But he's just make, Jesus is just stating the obvious. Sometimes Jesus says things that are just true. He's not trying to make a really a prophetic statement. He's just trying to get us to understand how the world works. That we live in a world where things break, where things cause us to stumble. That's unfortunate. That's not ideal. And woe to the one that causes this. One day he will be judged. One day, one day those who cause us to sin or cause us to suffer, they will be held accountable. God's going to take care of that. But in the here and now, that's not the case. And then Jesus turns back to us who are stumbling, who are struggling, who are being tempted. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. If you want to get people's attention, start saying that, right? Woe to the world because, hey, it's broken and things are messed up and there's one that's causing all this. Shame on him. But hey, 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 if you keep falling for his deception, if you keep stumbling, if you keep getting fooled, let me tell you something. It'd be better if you would cut off your hand or cut off your leg. You're thinking, what in the world, Jesus? And then he says, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. So, I mean, Jesus, I, was, I just got up. I don't know if I was ready for this, right? I mean, one day you're doing a miracle and you're healing us and feeding us bread. Now you're telling us to take our eye and our hand and our leg off? Now, the, 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 the one thing we should pay attention to, there is no EMS crew waiting at the foot of the hill, ready to help people that are bleeding out after this. I'm not making, I'm, I'm being serious. We know that he's not being serious about this because there was no group of people ready to bound up and, and, and sew up and help people that literally did this as if that was the only option. Does that make sense? He doesn't start passing out galls and passing out surgical tools saying, okay, y'all, the only option we got, the world's a broken bone, right? Things are messed up. The only solution you've got because you're going to keep getting fooled is to take out your eyes so that you can't be tempted with what you see and take out your arms and your legs so that you can't go in the wrong place and do the wrong thing. Now, the fact that that didn't happen should tell us that Jesus is being a little dramatic here. I'm not saying that there isn't the risk of hell and there, there isn't a seriousness of sin. I'm just saying he doesn't want you to do that. Does that make sense? He doesn't want someone to say, well, I guess the only option I've got is to start. That's not what he's saying. He's, now, now this, is, this is both encouraging and distressing. Maybe you'll, you're, you understand that feeling right now. I mean, in verse 7, he says, hey, we're not the only ones being tempted. We're not the only ones being tested. There, there's a lot of things around us. You're not, the, you know, you're not extra sinful. You're not extra fallen. The whole world's being tempted. It's not just you. If somebody out there pretends like they never get tested, never get tempted, they're lying to you. They're just being holier than thou. Everybody, woe to the world because everybody's being tempted. Everyone's being tested. Everyone's stumbling somehow. So that's encouraging. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's all of us. But it's also a little bit distressing because the devil's never going to let up, is he? Sin is going to fight tooth and nail to keep us in bondage. Now, the Greek word for offense here, or the word sin here, it calls back to our earlier points. It's the word scandal. Now, when somebody goes through a scandal, it's, that, it's something that they didn't expect to come out into the public, right? 
A scandal is a stumbling block. It's a snare. It's a trap. So he's not blaming you for being tempted or tested. He's promising judgment on the one doing the tempting and testing. Whether it be the devil or other people that are being used by him, antagonizing us and instigating us. Jesus acknowledges that it's not our fault that these traps are set. He puts the weight on us, though, to own our part of the sin. Don't you notice that? That he, in, one, in verse 7, he's saying, hey, shame on the devil. Shame on the world. I hate that it's like this. But then in verse 8 and 9, he says, you've got to own your part of the equation. You have to make a decision not to allow sin to dominate your life. Not to apologize for things that are not good for you. Now, we could talk about sin in all sorts of ways. It could be an emotion that you let get the best of you. And let me make it very clear. These emotions in and of themselves are not sinful. They're feelings that we have in our mind. It's if we let these emotions control us and lead us to actions that are not good. Decisions that are not good. But if we allow emotions like anger, jealousy, lust, fear, worry, these things that are natural, things that we respond with mentally, if we allow these things to to go out, get out of control, that's what leads us to sin, right? That these emotions, things that start in our hearts, they cause us to think in our minds and they cause us to act with our lives. Really, any temptation is about leading us from God's best and it takes something that's natural in our hearts, a natural response, and it, and it poisons it. it. It causes us to think, well, you know, I'm angry. I should do something with this anger, right? You know, I have a desire. I should do something with this desire. And I'm going to go about it in a way that God is not pleased with. Sin is choosing to go in a direction when we know it will lead us away from God, away from good. So if you look at a decision you're about to make, is this going to lead me away from God? Is this going to lead me away from something that's good for me? It's probably sinful. There might not be a verse for it, but if it's taking you away from God, away from his best for you, away from good for you, it's not, not good for you. It's sin. But we do it anyways We go in the wrong directions because our emotions have been unchecked. We have not considered the damage that's being done or going to be done. So if you look back at 2023, sin has left a trail behind. There's a bread trail. There's a pathway. There's some footprints. So we know what sin did to our life last year. There's arguments that you had last year. There's words that you said last year. There's choices you made last year. There's time that you spent last year. There's decisions that you made last year. There's things that you did last year because you allowed emotions in your heart to cause you to do things that you knew were not good for you, that you knew were not God's will for you. If we were to bring our lives under the microscope, there was a moment, there were several moments that we followed the wrong lead and we ended up in the wrong place. Let me ask you that. Is there a point in your last year where you followed the wrong lead and you ended in the wrong place? I think all of us can say, yeah. Now, it might have happened, and we might not left the house. It might have just been in our own little mind space, but it happened, right? It could have been something that happened in our life that we followed the wrong lead and we ended up in the wrong place. It could have been the wrong place emotionally, the wrong place spiritually, the wrong place relationally, or the wrong place physically. I I don't know what, what, what you did, but I'm sure that we ended up in a place that we were not pleased with in the aftermath. Maybe the condition of of the relationships that mean the most to you, they're not where they should be because you followed the wrong lead and you ended up in the wrong place and now things are not where they should be. Maybe a lot of people know about what sin did to us last year because it was public. Maybe, Maybe nobody knows but you. 
or maybe you haven't even admitted it yet, what it did. I promise you, even if no one knows it, everyone around you felt it. They might not know how you sinned, and they might, know that not, they might not know that you sinned, but they feel the disconnect between you and God. Does that make sense? People might not know how we sin, but they feel the disconnect between us and God. They feel the damage that it's done to our relationships. And you say, Justin, is the trickle down really that bad? Does sin really trickle down to every area of my life? Absolutely it does. It may be something on the opposite end of the spectrum, but if, if our relationship with God is disconnected, if our relationships with those that we love the most are damaged, if our progress has been diminished, then absolutely we are not where we should be, and people are going to be able to notice. And who cares what they think? You are going to be able to feel it. James, the brother of Jesus, he talked about sin like this. Each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. Desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, now James kind of gives us a biological breakdown of sin. You know, in biology, you can look down at, you know, it, it breaks down how water, you know, condensation, condensation and evaporation, all the precipitation. We learn the song, right? There's stages to how things happen, right? We learn that, hey, the flower gets sun, sunlight and the flower blooms and all that stuff. So James kind of breaks down sin in a very biological way. That there's a desire, and then there's a sin, and then there's a reaction, though, to consequence. There's death. That sin causes some kind of death. It causes some kind of disconnect, some kind of damage, some kind of loss. This is the story for all of us, and we must own this about our past before we can ever step into a better future. Now, back to Jesus, because he offers a solution. But I don't think any of us want to go with this option, Right? I don't think anybody wants to do what he says to do in verse 8. If your hand or foot or if your eyes cause you to sin, you should get rid of them. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible where God actually endorses self-harm. Uh, there's no, you know, the, the ancient church believed in penance, which was, you know, self-discipline. That's not biblical. God never wants you to punish yourself, physically hurt yourself. That is not anywhere near with what God has, has for you. God does not want you to hurt yourself, right? We, we, I think we know that, but it needs to be said. Jesus, for dramatic effect, says this is how serious sin is in your life. If it's causing you, if something is causing you to sin, then you've got to cut it off at the root. But the real problem with sin isn't your eye or your hand or your foot. The real problem with sin, the source of sin, is our hearts. Our hearts. Now, flip back a page or two. Look at Matthew 15. I'll show you a couple of verses that, are, that, are, that go along with this. Matthew 15, verse number 18 and 19. You should highlight these and, and, and uh, study these. This whole passage is Jesus identifying where sin comes from. And, and notice, notice what he says. 15, verse 18. Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. You see how he traces sin back to that desire? Like James did? Where, where do you think James got it from, right? He got it from his brother. Verse 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are what defile a man. Because the religious people were making it all about how you look and how you dress and you know, whether you wash your hands or not. Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. You can be squeaky clean. You can wear the right thing, look the right way. But that's not what, uh, what re re reflects your relationship with God. I mean, they were trying to condemn somebody for not washing their hands. Jesus says, I don't care how clean your hands are. I care about your heart. 
Because nobody's murdering somebody because they have unclean hands. They're murdering someone because they have an unclean heart. You say, listen, can our hands be dirty? Yes. Can our lives be filthy with sin? Yes. But you know where that filth comes from? Our heart. Make sure we trace it back to where it comes from. Right? Because if you just identify the symptom, you'll never actually have a solution. If you just clean your hands, your heart will still be dirty. So Jesus shows us the source of our sin. He confronts that thing in us that says, well, I can't help it. Have you ever said that about sin? I can't help it. It's how I've always been. It's how my whole family has been. Don't you realize that we've all been like this? We're all like this? Jesus says that will not stand in the kingdom of God. If you want to make those kind of excuses, you better start taking out your eye and taking off your foot and taking off your hand because that's not a good... You, you better find a padded room to go and be in. If, you, if, that's, if you're going to make excuses, you better start losing some limbs and, and losing some eye. And again, he doesn't want that to happen, right? He's not being serious. But he's saying if you are not going to own your sinful heart and get some help for it, then I guess you just need to go... Find somewhere to hide. Now, you see what he's doing? We have got to stop believing the lies perpetuated by the enemy. And some of you, it's been by your families. I'm not calling your families the enemy, but I'm saying that we've listened to the devil. We've listened to the enemy. We have, we have perpetuated these lies that some sins are just unavoidable, inescapable. Well, you know, hey, we've all been addicted to something. Well, infidelity just runs in my family. I, you know, I don't know why. I can't help you. It's just always been there. No marriage is last in my family. You know what? We all, my whole family has these unhinged, unattended emotions. We just can't help it. It's just always been there, and they always cause problems. Right? His daddy was angry. His grandpa was angry. Or his, her mom. And then we, 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 right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. We have perpetuated these lies that there are certain sins that are inescapable, unavoidable. There's nothing that God can't deliver you from. And there's some things that we're going to live with, but God can comfort you and help you with them. But if we're going to make excuses, Jesus says, I guess the only option is surgery. Now, if you're listening and thinking, Justin, I've tried. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be mean. If you're saying, Justin, I've tried to suppress these thoughts. I've tried to cut loose of that temptation. I've tried to fight those demons, and I just can't. My anger, my jealousy, my fear, my greed, my lust, it just gets the best of me. And I don't want it to, but it's always got the best of me. And it makes me make decisions that I always regret. And yeah, that's the reason I buy that. Yeah, that's the reason I go there. Yeah, that's the reason I talk to them. Yeah, that's the reason I get angry and we have fights and all. Yeah, I know, I know, I know it all comes back to this place of, of my heart. But I've tried. It's got the best of me again and again and again. And the battles aren't going away and it's not getting any easier. I've tried. I got to ask you, don't you think you fought enough battles that you may, you're at least a little wiser than you were before? I'm not saying you're bulletproof. I'm not saying you're foolproof, but haven't you fought this battle enough that you kind of see how it comes? You kind of can see it coming a mile away. You kind of can see it building, right? You, you should be able to tell by now. I want you to listen to Jesus in this next passage. Back in Matthew 18, if you'll turn back over. Listen to Jesus in this next passage. He steps up to defend the very people that he just targeted. You hear that? I'm sure, just like us, I'm sure the religious people, the self-righteous people, when Jesus starts talking about cutting off your hand and taking out your eyes, there are people sitting back thinking, yeah, we know who he's talking about. 
He's talking about the thieves and the murderers and the adulterers. Yeah, Jesus, we, we know who you're talking about. You know, you're talking about these overt, terrible, outrageous sinners. Yeah, they, need, they, they should just, but there, there's no hope for them. But look at what Jesus says in verse 10. Take heed that you not despise one of these little ones. Now, that phrase little ones is not referring to children. That phrase little ones refers to the least among us, those who stumble the most. He's referring to the ones that have been diminished, the ones who have been looked down on, the ones who are like the, the, the woman caught in adultery, right? The, the, the woman at the well, the people that Jesus hung out with, the tax collectors, right? He's talking about the people that he, they think he just really, you know, uh, uh, all, he just really punked on. He says, hey, 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 be careful that you don't despise or single out the little ones, the least of these. What does he say? For I say to you that in heaven their angels, in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So hey, you, those people that you think are way, way, way out, out, out in sin, their angels are looking at God's face. As in their angels reflect the heart of God and their angels, God has a special hand on them as in he has not given up on them. That's the point. And listen to the hope that he offers us. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So this is how we know Jesus is not saying the solution is cutting off hands and taking out eyes. He's trying to get your attention. The solution is to realize that we are lost, that we are sinful, that we need a Savior. And what does he say? For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Do you see what his point is here? That God has a heart for that one that has went astray. For all of you, for all of us, for me. And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices over that sheep more than that over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father, that, father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So, so he says, I, I don't want you to cut off your hand. I don't want you to cut off your leg or your, take out your eye. That's not the point. I want you to know that God loves you and he sent me, Jesus, he sent me to find you. He's the shepherd that left the 99 to find the one. He's the one that came for all that have went astray. But he didn't just come to find you. He came to deliver you. He came to deliver you from sin. Jesus, Jesus does not condemn you in your sin. He took our sin. He was condemned in our place so that we might take on his grace and be filled with his life. Do you, do you understand that? That's the gospel. Jesus does not condemn you in your sin. He took your sin. He took your place in death so that you might take his grace, so that you might take his life. He does not guarantee that you'll never be tempted. He doesn't promise that you won't be uh, uh, tempted or tested. He doesn't promise that bondage will uh, end. He came in some ways to make us foolproof, to give us a way of escape, to show us that we don't have to remain or settle in sin. We don't have to keep stumbling again and again and again. Now to wrap all this up, turn over to Romans 6. We're going to read a little passage. that This is from the Apostle Paul. 
This is a passage that should be a lifeline for you when things start to go in the wrong direction for your life this year. When you're tempted, when you're tested, when you're frustrated, when your emotions flare and you begin to consider stepping out of God's will, when, you're, when your temper flares, when, you're, when your worry gets the best of you and you begin to think about making decisions that you know are not good for you, you know they're not gonna be good for your family, you know they're not gonna be good for where you wanna be in the future, but you begin to think, you know what? Why am I doing all this for God? Why am I being faithful? Why am I serving him? I should just throw this away because it's not paying off. There are moments in this next year where we will consider, we will wonder and doubt if God has is, is got anything planned for us and we will think about turning inward and going after the way of our flesh. But Jesus promises you that he came to save you. He came to deliver you. And, and Romans 6 gives us a practical pathway to walk in order to stay in the place that God can help us in order to overcome the battle. Follow along with me, verse number five, we'll start. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, what's that mean? It means he died for you. That's what this on the screen says. He took your sin, he took your place. You've been united with him. And guess what? The good news is he did that for you whether you ask him to or not. Do you get that? Jesus didn't die on the cross for people that might, for, for, for an exclusive group of people. He didn't die on the cross, you know, say, hey, well, until someone asks me to do this in the future, this doesn't mean for them. No, no, he did it in the past. That means it's done. What did he say? It's finished. So whether you take advantage of it or not, he's already done part of his part of the deal. He's already took your sin. You don't have to claim it. You don't have to receive it. You don't have to have it applied to you. That doesn't mean it's not been available to you. There's a gift already been wrapped and provided for you whether you open it or not think why would God die for people that might why would Jesus die for those that might not end up believing in him because that's how much he loves you and that's how much he wanted to make it clear it's not his it's not his lack of love or lack of provision that keeps anybody from God so you've been united together certainly we also will be in the likeness of his resurrection so if you've been united in his death then you can be raised in his life that's the message he took your sin he took your place that you can take his grace and you can have his life Verse 6, knowing this, the old man was crucified with him. The body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So, hey, this is what Jesus was talking about. Cutting out your, your, off your arm, off your, your leg, taking out your eye. That's what it means to be a slave to sin. But you don't have to go that direction because God made a better way for you. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So what's the gospel? That you have been freed from sin. You have been given victory over bondage. If we die with Christ, we'll believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. So if he's no longer bound by death, then we're no longer bound by sin, verse 10. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the, the life he lives, he lives to God. So that means there's a life available to us. Do you get that? He died for your sin. So the sin that you struggle with in 2023, the sin that you're struggling with, Jesus died for that sin. And he knows how powerful it is because he felt the weight of it on his own back. Jesus died for that sin and he loves you anyway. But that sin could not hold him in the grave and that sin did not defeat him. So therefore, that sin does not have to defeat you. Verse 11, likewise, you also, see how he's making, applying this to us? Reckon yourself, consider yourself to be dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. 
that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. So this is back to what Jesus is talking about. Members of your body, your mind, your, 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 you know, the things that, uh, you, you, that, that you lead into sin, that leads you into sin. Hey, your eyes, your hands, your legs, they are not for you to go and do what you want to do with. They're for you to do what God wants you to do with. So don't present your members to sin, but present yourselves to God as alive from the dead and your members or your body as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law of sin, under the bondage of sin. You are under grace. And that grace is powerful, more powerful than your sin has ever been. So a few things. Consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. That word consider means, it's a Greek word that means write it down, make it happen. Dwell on it, internalize it, put on repeat in your head, which is done by being in church, worshiping, listening to godly music, studying God's word, putting yourself in conversation with God's people. You've been united with him. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You've been set free. You're alive in him. So is this your reality as a believer? Maybe the reason you're still struggling is because this isn't your reality. As you continue to face temptation and tests, does, 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 does this reflect your life? Probably not if you continue to stumble. Walking with God will prevent us from stumbling in our sin and will raise us up when we do fall. So this is all about being united with Christ, walking with Christ. And if you are walking with God, you will not stumble as much and if you do stumble you will be raised up every time you can be freed from the domination of sin the things that lead the emotions that control you and lead you to these dead end decisions verse 12 verse 11 12 and 13 you should you should really highlight and and, and study these Again, consider yourself, reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Present your life as an instrument for God's glory. That word, do not let, or that word, let not, this is what you should think of. There should be a yield sign there, but it's not there. Yield. When you see the yield sign on the road, that means, hey, I got I to gotta back off, right? And I got to make a decision. Am I going to hit the gas or am I going to wait on somebody else to go? That, that phrase, do not let or do not yield to sin. So when we come to a crossroads every single moment, every single day, are we going to yield to God or are we going to yield to sin? We are in the grave no longer. We're under grace. We're raised up in resurrection life. We fought this drift, we've been down this road, we've been fooled before, and we've been convinced that we can't do any better. But come on, we know that there is a better way. We know there's a better way for us. Jesus promises that he's here to rescue you. So, no matter what temptations or tests you face this year, Jesus is going to show up, and he's going to empower you, and he wants to deliver you. He's already done his part of the deal. The question for us is, will we be fooled again, or will you yield to God Will you stumble or will you be raised to life? So I don't know what you struggled with last year. I'm sure it's still nagging at your heels this year. It could be something mentally, something in your heart, something that just shows up and everybody knows it. I don't know what it is. 
But that thing that you continue to struggle with, that, that emotion, that thing that, blurt, that, that blooms into something that you're not proud of, every moment that you come to that crossroads, you have to make a decision. Am I gonna be fooled again? Am I gonna yield to God in this moment? Am I gonna keep stumbling? They're gonna keep coming. But am I gonna keep stumbling? Or am I gonna let God raise me up to life? If you don't want to repeat the same sins and struggles of 2023, the way of escape has been right, is right before us. His name is Jesus, and he wants to meet you here today, and he wants to give you help. There's no shame here. There's no embarrassment here. If you have a need you want to talk to God about at the altar, you come down and pray for God to give you help. He'll meet you. He'll show up, and he'll promise you help. If you want to pray from where you're at, that's great too. But I want you to know this. Whatever you're struggling with this year, whatever is holding you back and, be, and, and holding you down, God says, I have made a way of escape, but you gotta rely on me to get the life, the resurrection life to always be present and raising you up. But it only will happen if we own our sin and we depend on God in every moment, in every temptation. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing a word to us from Jesus that is very clear but also a little bit distressing because it, it acknowledges that our battle's not gonna end this year. That we're gonna face the same battle, many of the same battles, maybe new battles, stronger battles, harder battles. We're gonna face these battles again this year. And God, we're all back here today. We're all back for more and we've been through it before and maybe we're discouraged. Maybe we're, maybe we're a little bit downtrodden because we just don't really know if there's gonna be a way of escape for us this year. But we're asking, we believe that you have offered us a way out. You believe, we believe that you've given us a way that Jesus has made a way, that Jesus is the way. We believe that he doesn't stand in heaven and condemn us. He came down to find us and to save us and deliver us. So if there's something that continues to dominate our life, an emotion, a, 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 an action, if there's something that always rears its ugly head and it's damaging our relationships, it's damaging our marriages, it's damaging our friendships, it's damaging our church activities, it's just damaging everything and it's making us less than who we want to be. Father, if there's something in the heart of anybody here today, they'd be willing to ask you for help. Lord, would you show up and would you give them the power of Jesus to raise them up? And would you give all of us the confidence that no matter what we face this year, Jesus will show up and give us the delivering power, the resurrection power of life. Father, help us not to yield to sin, but to yield to you, to see you work in our hearts. We ask you, all this in Jesus' name. Amen.